Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. everyone. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today we have Anna Medeiros, who I am so excited to have. She is a senior health reporter at Insider currently. She has over 10 years of experience in health and health and women's wellness areas as a writer in many different areas and publications. So thank you for being here, Anna. I'm so excited to talk to you about eating disorders and pregnancy and what that means for so many women that are out there in the world today that are having these internal thoughts around that. What have you found that has, um, what, what have you found around this, you know, situation with eating disorders and women who are going into pregnancy? Yeah. So it's not just eating disorders. I mean, that's a big segment of the population um, who has struggled with that or is continuing to struggle with it. But I would talk about, you know, body image concerns more generally in pregnancy. Um, you know, we live in a culture that demonizes round bellies and, um, you know, celebrates flat stomachs and, you know, until you're pregnant, but then once you're pregnant, you're also not off the hook, then you have to also not gain too much weight and, you know, not develop too bold of stretch marks. Like that's anything you can actually control. And so women who are already under so much pressure to um, have a certain body shape in this society, um, that doesn't go away when you become pregnant. Um, and it's, it could be hard to remove yourself from that because you're still living in that same culture. Yeah. And do you find that when people are, have a history, I guess, of body image and or eating disorder, which to me, I feel like they're hand in hand, right? I mean, if somebody is having image issues body image issues, whether that's dysmorphia or something else, it may not specifically be quantified as bulimia, anorexia, or any of those types of things, but it really has the same sort of damaging effect that it's taking a control of their life in a, a negative way. Do you find that people are more, I don't know, seeking more help around the, the ideas and the, the thoughts that they're having before they go into pregnancy or, or they're not even like having that conversation with anybody or they're not admitting it? What, what have you seen in your research? Yeah, I think it's, it can be both. It depends, you know, how far away you are from, um, your disordered eating, if you're still in it, if you act, if you went through treatment, um, but no matter what, yeah, when you become pregnant and all of a sudden you're shifting, maybe you're somebody who used to exercise and watch your diet and that would lead to being smaller. And now all of a sudden, no matter what you do, you're going to get bigger and you, you're supposed to get bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lot of shame too, around 
admitting to even yourself, let alone a practitioner or a loved one, um, that you're experiencing some of these fears around growing bigger because we're under this pressure too when you're pregnant to um, be purely grateful for what, what you have, especially if you struggled with infertility. And so there's all of this shame around it. And that's probably the biggest thing I've found in other um, people who've covered the topic is the yeah, shame it, piece. It is weird because as as much as you're genuinely excited and happy about being pregnant, you're almost equally as afraid and scared and ashamed of the thoughts that you're having of what if I'm going to get too fat? What if I'm not going to be able to lose the weight and all of those things? So then you have this other internal conflict about how do you come to terms with that? Because I don't know, what have you seen that works with people that you've talked to, to kind of get through that stage? Yeah, I think one really good piece of advice is to not feel like you have to be either or and that like, if you're feeling uncomfortable with your body, that doesn't also mean that you're not grateful for what it's doing right. for you. You can feel both at the same time and that's perfectly fine and perfectly normal. Um, and I think it's easy to forget that, especially with Instagram um, and our, our society now just, you know, everybody... It, it, it appears that everybody's not only having beautiful pregnancies, but um, that they're loving their changing body. And, and afterwards, they're so grateful for what it produced. And if you don't feel like that, um, it can it can add to that shame, of course. But yeah, I think understanding that you can experience both at the same time. Um, I think education is also hugely important where you might be really tempted to um, kind of not really dig into what's actually happening, what organs are growing, why you need to eat certain things, what's going on in your body, because it's uncomfortable and you don't want to think about it. Um, but the more that you actually do kind of just become curious, then you can become less judgmental um, and really maybe fascinated by the process instead. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I often see that the more people really understand from an educated perspective of literally what's happening, then they're like, oh, okay, I can get my head around it, right? It's bigger than the the other issue that potentially may be going on. Um, and that's where I do think that some of those apps are really helpful that, you know, pregnancy plus and those sorts of things of like, your baby's growing this today, and that's why you should eat more of this, you know? So it's, kind of taking yourself out of the equation and really focusing more on the health of your baby, because I think that is where it's often helpful for them to say, okay, I can get beyond that even for today, right. Or even for this mm -hmm. meal or whatever to say, this little one is the health of this little one is more important. And sometimes you may not be in that place. Right. And that's okay too. And I think that's where you look to get support, whether that's from a therapist that specializes both in fertility and, or, um, weight issues or a coach or somebody that can really walk you through that process. But I agree the education is really key. Um, what if somebody hasn't gone down the road yet of, trying to conceive, but they've had a history of some sort of eating dis disorder or body issues. And they're wondering how that's going to affect their fertility. I saw in one of your articles, it said that 18% of the patients that are found in fertility clinics have had previous eating disorders. That's a big number, you know? Um, and I also think that 
people aren't, well, I know for my experience in seeing several different fertility doctors, nobody asks you that history at all, you know, um, as same with gut issues and things that I focus on in my practice, like they don't ask you about that yet. It's directly related to your fertility. Um, so what would you suggest for somebody who has a history of that? That's, you know, trying to get out of that. Like, what have you found in your research with that? What do people do to kind of get past that? I mean, I think the best advice is really just to work with somebody like a non-diet dietitian or a therapist who specializes in pregnancy and childbirth issues. Um, it's again, very common and there are specialists who have seen this all the time and to be able to kind of get a hold on why you have these behaviors and thoughts around food before you go into pregnancy can be so helpful um, to have that grounding in the tools that you can use um, beforehand. And then, you know, even if it's something you're going through during pregnancy, it's kind of a never, it's never too late to work on intuitive eating or whatever works for you. Um, this is, you know, a chance for you to think about your body in a different way and think more about fueling it and how does that make you feel and how does that nourish you instead of thinking about food in terms of how to restrict and change your body size. Um, and so for some women, actually, pregnancy could be a very empowering um, way to shift their relationship with food that you can continue on in, in, as your parent, um, which is important, of course, for you, but also to model for your children. Yeah. And you mentioned, you touched on earlier, also the, the post pressure that people find after they have the baby, right. Of like, I got back into my jeans, you know, six weeks later or whatever, which, you know, that conversation didn't used to be a thing. And now it is a very common conversation where it's, it's this level of expectation that I think is not really realistic, honestly, of all that your body's been through. And especially if you've had kind of a, an unhealthy relationship with your body image and or food and things like that, to have that expectation. Do you see that? Have you seen that a lot in your research with people of, as far as any information around kind of the post body image stuff and how that recovery, so to speak goes? Um, because again, you're, you're, job at that point is really to take care of somebody else rather than thinking about how am I going to get into my genes again? Yeah, I believe there was one study that um, found that, you know, even though we, we hear all of these people, or I do at least in the so social feeds that I follow, you see all these people who are like, um, you know, not just chasing after the body after baby, but it also can go in almost another direction where then you have the pressure maybe not to get the body after baby, but to be just completely relishing and um, appreciative in the body you have, despite that, yeah, it's probably very, like, very bloated to put it nicely right now. Maybe you have tearing, maybe, you know, it's, it's a very uncomfortable place to be for some people. Um, so there was one study that found, I think it was about 41% of women reported feeling worse about their bodies in the third and fourth trimesters, um, whereas there were only 12 that felt better about them. Um, and I guess everybody else was kind of neutral, but that's, that is not what we see. We don't see people who are saying, I feel worse about my body. We just see the ones that, that say that feel better, whether that's just because they appreciate it or because they're um, chasing this dream of getting their pre-body baby back. 
Yeah, it is an awkward situation for sure. I mean, I remember with my last son, I really was like, how long can I make these, um, elastic waistband jeans, my best friend, (laughs) because it was certainly not the priority. He had been in NICU and life was just stressful. And then we were in the pandemic and it was like the idea of that became so such a non-issue. It was like, again, once something bigger was on the forefront rather than how I'm going to get into my jeans. Now, don't get me wrong. It came later, but in that, those first few weeks, um, it definitely was not a thing. And it's interesting because we were at an extreme of situations that most of us, well, none of us have ever seen in our lifetime, right. Of being in a pandemic, um, and having, this new reality of what we're in. And again, remember thinking like, if I could stay in elastic waistband jeans for the rest of my life, I'd be fine. You know? I mean, I'm thinking that and I'm not pregnant or nor have I been pregnant, but I have liked that about the pandemic. Sweatpants are the norm these days. Totally. Totally. And realizing like there's a new level of comfort, whether that's healthy or unhealthy to some degree, it's really shifting, you know, this, expectation again, I I suppose of, to your point, like you're not pregnant, but being able to have a different style of what you go to work in every day, because if you're working at home or you're working somewhere else rather than our old way of being is, is much different. So I think for anybody who has just had a baby allowing yourself that grace. And if, even if you aren't able to kind of get to a point where it's an appreciation of your body, just to, you know, you will get there and it doesn't have to be this race. And most of what we see on social media is not real or they're genetically predisposed to have a body that like bounces right back. And I think oftentimes we don't, we don't think about that, right? Like somebody who's six feet tall, who wears a size two, that's their genetic predisposition. So they're not going to be the same as me. Who's five, four and not that right. It's going to be a little different. So I think getting the perspective too uh, um, after you have a baby is super important as well. Yeah, I think coping with that change, you can use a lot of the same advice as if you're struggling with the weight gain during pregnancy, like, you know, lowering the expectations for yourself in some way where, you know, not just saying, I don't need to get my body back in six months, I can go a year. I mean, maybe it will never be the same and that's totally fine, but more in just how you talk to yourself instead of, saying, you know, how can I love my body? Maybe it's just how can I feel a little bit more comfortable in my body? How can I learn to trust what my body's saying? Um, that That is a little bit easier to get to than the body love. Right. Which leads me to my next question for you is in all of your research and talking to people that have gone through this, what's some of the advice that you've kind of taken away from that for people that you've seen who've kind of gotten through the other side, maybe they've had children after they've suffered through, um, anorexia, bulimia and or body image issues. Is there any kind of like underlying theme that you continue to see that you would suggest as advice for, for people that are going through that are maybe scared or nervous about going down that road? I think one of the biggest things comes back to this shame piece, which is so prevalent um, with this kind of mindset where we're afraid to admit it um, in this kind of now body positive culture, which is a 
good movement, of course, but um, it adds a, a different kind of pressure. So, you know, I think being able to talk about it, admitting it, to how you're feeling to yourself, um, and maybe circles of other pregnant people, you'll find you're not alone. And I think just saying, getting that out there alleviates a lot of the burden and the shame that you might be feeling because you're carrying it yourself. But when you can share that with a loved one, hopefully a, a therapist, if you want to go there. Um, but I think that's um, just talking about it will help kind of also change, you know, the way that I'm reporting on it because it's hard to get people to talk about this to me. Um, so if you can at least talk about it with each other, um, you know, it will become more, um, the shame piece can go away and then we can really work on um, what else is there. Yeah, it's the same way that I say with the fertility and miscarriage loss, it's this shame and guilt and all those things. And by us talking about it and bringing awareness to it, when it happens to them, again, one in eight that's suffering from infertility and one in four with miscarriage loss, you don't feel so alone. You don't feel like you're the only one going through it. And this is only happening to you. The more that you talk about it, you're like, oh, even when I had my first loss, I didn't know anybody who had had one. So it was so such a strange feeling to feel again, ashamed, guilty, embarrassed, you know, all of these weird things that logically, you know, you shouldn't be feeling, but you are. And now I know, you know, so many people that have had one, I'm like, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> you know, then I wouldn't have felt so alone, but now it's like this whole movement of opening these conversations, which is again, why I'm so grateful that you are talking about all these things and writing about all these amazing topics so often, because it is getting out to the world that this is a normal thing as well as the, the body image issues around pregnancy. So many people are thinking the same things. And the more that we are open about it and talk about it, it's not only healing for you, but it's healing for other people too. So I think that it's such an important thing to kind of keep that momentum going and having this conversation because it opens up a whole new experience for not only yourself, but others to come because it's unfortunately not going anywhere. Um, like the fertility and the miscarriage loss, it's, it's there. And the more that we talk about it and normalize these things, the better we are all for it. So even talking to your doctor about it, um, hopefully you have a practitioner who you feel comfortable saying that you have some um, discomfort about around your weight gain or whatever it is. Um, if you don't have a practitioner who you're comfortable saying that with, that's a red flag to begin with. But, um, you know, there's some practical things that they could do, like maybe weighing you backwards if that's triggering. Um, and there's also, you know, there's a book by, it's probably pretty old by now, but that means this, this is an issue that's been going on forever. Um, Claire Misco, who I believe is still the CEO of the National Eating Disorders Association, really dug into this topic, wrote a book about it um, called, Does This Pregnancy Make Me Look Fat? And she interviewed a lot of women about um, pregnancy and body image. And so um, if, if you're not comfortable speaking up about it yet, maybe that's a first step too, um, to, to read other people's stories and feel less alone that way. What is weighing yourself backwards? Um, so a lot of people with eating disorders if, or even histories of it just don't want a scale in their lives, period, because they were yeah. obsessed with a number at some point. 
Um, the same could be with like counting calories, you know, it's <laughs> the calories at certain restaurants that are printed on the menu, you know, like I cringe every time, like, I don't want to, I don't want to know. I just want to order what I want to order. Um, and yeah, so I mean, whether you're pregnant or not, that's one strategy at the doctor's office um, to ask if you can just stand, you know, facing out instead of watching the number oh, I see, on the scale. I see. Yeah. Okay. I thought you meant like the numbers are backwards or something. Oh, like oh, like a Got little, it. yeah, <laughs> cryptic oh, code you have to, okay. Yeah, <laughs> the, the doctor could see it and you're just not facing it. Yeah, and I think that that was triggering for me, I will admit, um, through my pregnancies, especially as I went on to my third one, because each one I didn't get back to where I started. So I was always further ahead each pre previous one, next one, whichever. Um, and knowing that number is triggering because you know that you're supposed to be within a certain range and you also know what is comfortable for your body. Right. And you kind of don't want to go out of that. And then there's this other mental aspect of what you might have in your head for yourself too, right? Like the doctor says, don't gain more than 35 pounds usually, but then, you know, like for me, it was what I gained in my first pregnancy. I didn't want to go beyond that but I started beyond, not beyond that, but I started heavier, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it is a really a mind game. And with my last one, because I was going every week to the doctor for a long time because of complications, I literally did say, I don't want to know, like, unless it's something where I was unhealthy, which I knew that wasn't the case. It wasn't relevant information for me to know. And I think that just advocating for yourself to say that, if that's something that is triggering for you in some sort of way, because they may not understand what your history is, or they may not get why people always say, oh, well, you look fine. It's like, you're not looking for that compliment. They don't understand kind of what your internal dialogue is. Right. And so to be able to just say like, I don't, I'd rather not know, I think is really empowering. Um, but also keeping yourself in check to make sure that you're in a healthy mindset as well. Mm -hmm. And that comment of like, you look fine. I mean, it's just re reflective of our society in general and that the fat phobia that's rampant and just this con this conception that what you look like um, can indicate how healthy you are. And so I do want to say too, like people who are in bigger bodies, whether or not they're pregnant, you know, they're dealing with these pressures all day, every day. Um, and then pregnancy can exacerbate um, those judgments even more. Um, and same goes for any kind of marginalized population. For sure. It's such a, an interesting psychological thing, I feel like, that you can dig into a lot. Um, and we won't do that today. But at the same time, I think really just making sure that you do advocate for yourself if those are the things that make you feel better. And I never heard weighing yourself backwards, but keeping that in mind, if that's something that um, is helpful for you. And also what, again, going back to your 10 years of experience of writing for all of these amazing publications, just even in, around pregnancy in general, what's the kind of the most interesting aspect that has surprised you around either fertility or pregnancy or any of those things that you could share with our audience? Oh, gosh, I, this isn't probably going to surprise anyone, but I always go back to just 
nothing new, frankly, that I've learned, but what really started me down this path, um, you know, I used to joke that I, on a first date, I would never say I'm obsessed with pregnancy and childbirth <laughs> um, and scare them off. But, you know, I took a women's studies class in college, probably back in 2006 or seven, and it was led by a doula. Um, and it was called childbirth and culture. And we really just learned about it just it fascinated me so much how like the human body has been doing this since the beginning of time, continues to do it across all cultures, and yet we treat it so differently in each culture and that drastically impacts outcomes. So just thinking about where you live um, in the world and how that changes this thing that's so innate um, is, is really fascinating in a lot of cases, maddening since of course we know that the U.S. is one of the worst places um, in the developed world to give birth, and especially if you're a woman of color. Um, and it's been getting worse, and yet we spend the most money um, of any developed nation on that. So that could be another topic as well. But um, I think that was really what just sparked me, just this fascination with, with what goes on, that we are like increasingly a modern society, increasingly gender neutral, and um, and yet, like, we're still doing this amazing thing. Yeah, it's so true. And actually, that's where I brought in Pretty Little Tribe is going back to, you know, countries around the world where the women are part of their own tribe and supporting each other in that experience. And, you know, a lot of places in the world, they in order to even get ready for fertility, they do sacred rituals and make sure that the women are supported and you know, really high up on this pedestal in their traditions. And we don't have anything like that here. And especially in these situations where, again, with fertility or loss or weight issues or any of these kind of heavy things that you don't expect to take on in your life to just know that you're not alone, you are supported. There are people that are here to, to help you through your process and you do have a tribe and we are all here to help each other through this, a collective as women, I guess. And no matter where you come from or what your skin color is, as you mentioned, um, we are all here as one, as a collective to help each other. And I think that that really goes back to, um, reminding ourselves of how can we support the, the person who's next to us in whatever way that that they may need, because whatever it is, somebody needs help in some way, you know, whether that's something with their business or something with their family or their spouse or their partner or whatever it may be just having that awareness of like, how can I help the person next to me today? How can I support them? Um, and that's where for me, most people listening have heard my help one person every day is my motto that I love, but also keeping that in the, the framework of we are a tribe and you are supported in this journey. So thank you for bringing that up because I think again, with your extensive experience with all of these things, which I'm glad that you brought it up as to how you got into this, because that was one of my questions for you also, um, is, was that, is how did you, what was the fascination? Was it just that class that, that got you into it? Or had you had an interest in it before? And, you know, yeah, tell us more about yeah, that. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, I obviously had some interest in it to sign up for this class, yeah. but um, it was really mind blowing because I'd never, 
it, it's still impressive to me to think that like 15 plus years ago, you know, there were these classes and now these kinds of concepts are pretty mainstream, at least if you're, you know, interested in women's health in general. Um, but it, I think, you know, then it, it wasn't, it was never that I was going to become, I did think a little bit about becoming a doula. Um, but outside of that, you know, I wasn't going to become a practitioner, but I just, I do remember sitting in the big, um, we called it the fishbowl, which was this huge computer lab at my college, um, just because it had like a lot of windows around it and everybody could look in on you. <laughs> but I would sit there and write my papers for women's studies and um, psychology and love it. Like I just would like get in the zone and like really develop my points and um, think it was kind of a fun way to spend the afternoon. And I would notice that everybody around me writing their papers was absolutely miserable. <laughs> so um, that kind of led me to thinking about writing about health and um, specifically women's health as a career. Yeah. And are you, I would imagine that are you kind of continuously surprised with how much there is around it. And I would say, especially with reproductive health and, and fertility, it's like almost this, you know, top being blown open, essentially even more, like more information coming out, more people being, you know, acutely aware that this is a growing issue with our country and not only our country, but globally, you know, fertility being on a decline and whatnot. Um, does that surprise you at all or not really because you've been in it for so long? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting at the beginning of the pandemic where everybody was saying there's going to be a baby boom. And my colleagues and I were kind of like, this does not bode well. <laughs> Crisis does not bode well for, um, building families. And I did write a couple stories about couples who were kind of in this um, in between early on where they were trying to figure out what to do about their fertility treatments that were ongoing. Do they try to, could they even go to their clinics? Did they have to put their family plans on pause if the pandemic ended in a month, maybe it would be okay. But as we know, it's still ongoing. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, what does that mean? Have they missed their chances for building a family? So I was thinking about that. Um, it, that's what kind of always changes for me is just what's happening in the world. And of course, there's been um, a lot, you know, I've been very closely following the research on COVID during pregnancy, the vaccines in pregnancy. Um, so it definitely stays interesting. Um, and then of course, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit less tuned into the specifics of fertility um, advances, like in the, the, the health tech side of things. But um, I do know that, yeah, I mean, we're all, not we're all, but globally, even not just the US, and we're having kids later, we're having fewer kids if we have them at all. Um, and what does that mean for, in some ways, it's a really positive reflection on women's um, autonomy now, and being able to make decisions and not having to rely on a partner for income and everything like that. But in a lot of ways, um, it's scary to economists um, who worry that, you know, there, there could be a point where we won't have, you know, enough young people to care for and keep the economy going um, for the older people. Especially now with whatever we're doing with this pandemic and who, who knows? I, yeah, it is. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in the end. Um, it's kind of scary, honestly. Definitely.
Well, I would say that you're probably very much ahead of the curve for most people who have not yet had children based on all the research and information that you've gathered, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, how can people find you who want to kind of start following what you're writing about and, and just get to know you more? Sure. Um, my Instagram and Twitter handles are both Anna Medeiros. Um, and all my stories are at, not all of them, but my website is annamedeiros.com. Um, and there you can find links to everything, um, all my current stories on Insider, what I've done in the past for Washington Post, Women's Health, Cosmo, um, and everything in between. So yeah, pitch me ideas um, and give me your feedback because yeah, I, I do really approach this kind of from a fascination research perspective and as somebody who cares deeply about and loves women, um, but not as somebody who's physically been there. So um, I'm a, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And well, I appreciate all the work that you're doing there. And for anyone who's listening, again, not only just does she write about issues with pregnancy and you know, what we just spoke about, but so, so much more. So if you have some time to dig into any of her articles and share those out and whatever, please do. Because um, again, as we were mentioning before, the more that we can educate people and bring awareness to all of these issues, the, the less alone the collective will be feeling when it's going, when they're going through it. So I think it's amazing that you're doing the work that you do. So thank you so much, Anna. Thank you for your time today and being here and can't wait to chat more with you. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the Pretty Little Tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit elizabethking.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash pretty little tribe podcast for more information on how to enter any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.